church. It's good to be with you again uh, via the internet, YouTube, whatever you're watching on Facebook. Uh, so appreciative and thankful for Brother Galen being able to set all this up and do these things. And I'm appreciative for Stephanie keeping up her hard work, the deacons checking on people and ministering uh, behind the scenes. I want to thank the uh, ladies group, uh, the mentoring group who are sewing the mask and have distributed so many to our community that need them. Uh, good work, y'all. And I appreciate you. I assume that this Sunday, you know, is what we normally call Palm Sunday, heading into Easter week, and then Easter Sunday coming up next Sunday. So uh, prepare to celebrate Easter and uh, praise Jesus for what he did. Uh, this morning, I wanted us to look at Matthew, another word from the cross, Matthew 27, beginning with verse 45 and going through verse 54. And I've entitled this, Forsaken. It says in Matthew 27, beginning verse 45, <clears throat> Jesus is on the cross and it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that said, This man is calling out for Elijah. <clears throat> Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah would come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top uh, to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So that when the centurion and all those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of God. Let's pray. Father, guide us into your truth this morning. Uh, let your Holy Spirit teach. Uh, Father, I just pray for all those that are listening uh, that you will just uh, touch their hearts, help us to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. In Christ's name, amen. We talked uh, a little bit last time about some last words. You may not have known uh, Voltaire. He was an atheist. He was famous for going around and debating Christians and discounting Christianity. As a matter of fact, he did it his whole life. They had a big party as he was laying in his bed dying. And yet at the end, everything grew quiet. The party grew still when he raised his hand and he said, I'm abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. And then he died. As Jesus hung on that cross, there was a dark that permeated the noonday light. It took it over. It was a thick darkness. It, it, it was as if the world uh, had turned its back. Creation had turned its back on what man the creation was doing to God's son as literally they massacred him. Some said the darkness symbolized God turning his back on that awful scene. 
At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out and screamed in the darkness, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, the Hebrew cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You need to understand these words were not words of helplessness, of hopelessness, or faithlessness. They point to Jesus' purpose on the cross. See, Jesus' cry on the cross points to his voluntary death. He laid his life down because he wanted to. They point to his substitutionary death. He died in my place and your place for my sins and for your sins. They point to his redemptive work. He brought us back from the fold of sin, from death. You see, Jesus' cry on the cross points to his voluntary, substitutionary, redemptive death. And there are words that point us to Jesus and the sufficiency of his work on the cross to save me and to save you. So first of all, in verses 45 through 50, Jesus' cry reflects the lonely blackness of the hour. Jesus' cry reflects the lonely blackness of the hour. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I see, first of all, the abash, A-B-A-S-H. It means uh, the shame. Think about it. Jesus has been hanging on that cross for several hours. And from noon until 3 p.m., darkness overtakes the noontime sky. It is a thick darkness. It's as if creation in shame is hiding from what men were doing. Men, the creature, men, the sinner, carried out the ultimate evil. They put the creator the one who came in love, the holy one, the sinless one, to death on a cold Roman cross. And darkness spread across the whole land. And then there's the attack. I believe in this darkness that the forces of evil, the devil, the demons, hell, were doing their best to defeat the savior of the world. He has been totally rejected by mankind. His disciples have left him alone. There he is in that lonely, awful darkness, suffering for the sins. In this darkness, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, Sabachthamen. In the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out, Scripture. It's not a faithless cry. It's Scripture. It's Psalm 22.1, which describes in graphic detail what he's enduring on the cross. If you want to see, David saw it, probably had never seen a crucifixion, and he writes it down in a psalm, in Psalm 22. And it depicts the Roman soldiers around him. It depicts what had happened to Jesus and what he was enduring on the cross. So the attack went on. But then there's the answer. Why did Jesus cry out forsaken? As a young Christian, that bothered me. Forsaken? God's son? God himself forsaken? Many have said it's because it's the first time that he knew perfect 
separation from the perfect fellowship with the Father. He became sin for you and for me. And as sin, God could no longer look on him and have that perfect fellowship. Some say that God could not look on his son in that dark hour. You see, it was in this darkest hour, the darkest that Jesus had ever known, that God was at work. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he was sinless, to be sin or to become sin, literally to be sin for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, it was in that darkest hour that God was actually at work. God was present at the cross. He was executing judgment for sin. Think about it, in that darkest hour, all alone, Jesus was facing the fury of God against the sins of the world. He was paying the price we could never pay. As the wrath of God poured out on the sins of the world, he experienced that because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and I that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, what a black, lonely hour. But God, even in the darkness, was at work. I don't know if you've experienced true darkness before. As a kid, a teenager, I used to go spelunking, cave exploring. Now, we weren't like the ones you see on TV today with all the fancy ropes and the fancy lights. We had little bitty flashlights and hardly ever took a rope. And since I was the smallest in the group, they would shove me back into corners and and holes and see if it went anywhere and if they could get back there. It was my job to tell them it's okay or not. I can remember getting back into this hole and crawling that back there with an inch or two around me, not being able to turn either way, and my flashlight went out and would not work. If you ever heard the phrase, literally you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, that was it. And my heart was pounding. I was sort of claustrophobic anyway, and and that darkness, the heat was just radiating off my body and, and it became hard to breathe and I was hollering for them to shine a light back there. Well, they had giggled and left, left me in the darkness with no working flashlight. And I can remember backing out of there and carefully winding around some places, hoping I was going away, feeling along. Finally, I came to the hole I came out of and lowering myself and finally going out to the mouth of the cave and seeing a little bit of light. And the most wonderful thing was breaking into the sunlight, into the open, into the freedom, into the fresh air. You see, Jesus died that awful death for us so we wouldn't have to experience that awful blackness of sin so that we could be free, so that we could experience the glory of his light. He experienced that death for us so we would not have to know the awfulness, the blackness of separation from God for all eternity if we would repent of our sins and place our faith in him. See, if we reject Christ and what he did for us on the cross, willingly as our substitute to buy us back from sin, if we reject that work, if we reject him, if we refuse to repent and place our faith in him, then that's our future. We're going to face that awful darkness. We're going to face God's wrath on our own without any help. But you see, some are still in the process of rejecting him. You come to church Sunday after Sunday, but you've never, ever made a move to accept Christ. 
You may have a hundred good reasons in your mind, but there's no good reason. God says you've had a chance. Why haven't you accepted me? And you need to do that even this hour. You need to pray right there in your home to accept Christ and ask him to save you from your sins. Some have been saved, but because of the circumstances of life, you feel hopeless, you feel hemmed in, you feel dark and nothing light around you. And you need to come back to the God of hope to the one who is still the God of miracles, the one who can work in hopeless situations because my Bible says nothing shall be impossible with God. The one who can save us from our sins can help us in all things. But no, and I see it reflected in the darkness of the hour. I see Jesus Christ reflects the effective work of the hour. The effective work of the hour, his work. You see, it's the fulfillment. In crying out Psalm 22, from the cross, Jesus was not giving up. When you read that psalm, and I encourage you to do it this week, it is a psalm of victorious faith. It is a psalm that he draws comfort from God's word. There he is suffering in the darkness with all of hell and the devil attacking him, facing the wrath of God, experiencing it for my sin and for your sin, and in faith he still cries out. But if you didn't know it, it says in those verses, first he cried, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani. And then he said he cried out aloud again and gave up his spirit. We're going to touch on that in just a minute. You see, it is a victorious cry. You see, he willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. That's what he said in John 20, 28, or Matthew 20, 28. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. See, it was a payment. A ransom was a payment to buy somebody back. They were sold into slavery or sold, uh, held in bondage and, and you'd have to pay a ransom, a certain amount to buy them out. The Jewish people knew this. We don't know this a lot in our day. Uh, we would uh, call it uh, a ransom if somebody was kidnapped and you had to pay the kidnappers to get your loved one back. But you see, God loved us so much that Jesus died in our place and his death paid the ransom to buy us back, to pay for our sin. I think Augustine, the great church leader, said it best. Of Jesus' death, he said this. He gave up his life because he willed it. He gave up his life when he willed it. And he gave up his life as he willed it, or like he willed it. See, through Christ, God was doing effective work. Uh, so I don't just see the fulfillment of Scripture. I also want you to notice the facts. It says, first of all, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil of the temple separated uh, the outer court or the inner court from the Holy of Holies. The veil separated, the only one allowed in there was the high priest once a year to make atonement for his sins and for the sins of the whole nation as he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. Anybody else that went in there was struck dead. It represented the presence of God. It was torn from top to bottom, not from man tearing it, but from God tearing it from top to bottom. What does that mean? Okay, it means couple of things. It means judgment on Israel because they never would believe in Christ. They didn't become the nation God expected them to be priests to the whole world to make his name known in all the world among the Gentiles. Secondly, and most significantly, it meant the Holy of Holies is now open to all men who come through the blood of Christ. We can have direct, direct access to God. We don't need a priest for us, Jesus is our high priest. When we've accepted him, we have direct access to God. 
You can find those scriptures in Ephesians 2.18, Hebrews 9, 1-14. Uh, there are others. But then we have an earthquake. I think it just symbolized the mighty works of God. It said the stones broke. It's as if the ground trembles. Now, I believe, and it's free, so that's what it's worth, that that power of God shaking the ground might have represented his anger at what they'd done to his son. But I think it was more the power that sin's debt was paid for. Do we understand that? I think it had a cosmic significance, his debt did. Romans 8, 19 through 23 tells us that, that even creation groans waiting for the day of redemption. And creation is going to be redeemed just as we are in the end. Then we have the belief of the centurion. Here are these tough Roman soldiers that, that guarded the cross, that had carried out the crucifixion in all its brutality. They'd probably done hundreds of crucifixions. They'd grown numb to it, cold to it. They laughed at those dying and pleading for mercy. They'd scoffed at Jesus. They'd joined in. If you're the king of the Jews, come off the cross. Save yourself and we'll believe in you. Jesus couldn't come off the cross and save us. But when all these things happened, when the fulfillment of what Christ said he would do, that he would die on the cross and he would draw all peoples unto himself, that's Romans 12, 32, it was effective. And the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God. And the way the Greek is written, I believe what it says, he was saying that and the other little band of soldiers that regarded the cross as the darkness has settled in. As Jesus cried out and at his cry, there was a great earthquake. They knew something about Jesus. You see, it says later that after he rose from the dead, several of the saints rose from the dead and made appearances, points to our hope that he is the first fruits, and after him we also be raised to newness of life. You see, his death affected our salvation. He died in our place. He was our substitute. Back in World War II, all those many years ago, there was a a concentration camp, Ravensbrück, is one of the most notorious where millions were gassed. They were Jewish or Jewish sympathizers. There was a young Russian nun there. They called her Mother Maria. The whole camp, including the German soldiers, were impressed with her. She did so many acts of kindness to the prisoners and to the guards, and she was sweet in her disposition no matter how hard things were. Everyone in the camp looked up to her. They had rounded up a bunch of ladies, and again, they had separated Maria. They did not want to put her to death. And the young nun noticed a woman, a young woman, younger than her, crying uncontrollably. And unknown to the guard, she went up and said, it's okay, I'll take your place today, and shifted her out and stood in her place. She walked into the gas chambers and died. When they were hauling their bodies out, it was then that the guards noticed as they were dumping bodies, there was the young nun that they felt such respect for. At Raven's book, the rest of the day and into the next day, no one else was gassed. For those few hours, that horrific tragedy stopped by the death of one person. And as surely as that one nun stopped the gassing, Jesus' death dealt forever with the awful penalty of sin if we will accept him. Okay, if we don't, we face the separation that sin brings. 
See, Christ's work was effective. It's only effective if we believe in him. He is the only effective antidote for sin. That's why he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's still effective, Christians, and he can still handle your life, Christians, and, and we need to tell others that aren't Christians about a Jesus whose work on the cross satisfied God's penalty for sin and gives us hope of newness of life because that's the third thing. See, Jesus' cry, his second cry, not the one that said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the one in verse 50, he said he cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. See, his second cry reflects our hope. Why do I say that? The cry there, we're told in other gospels, is the Greek word telestai. Telestai. He didn't die with a whimper. He died with a shout. It's a shout of victory. It is finished. It is done. But to understand that, we have to know what telestai means. It's, it, it is finished, it is done, but what is finished, what is done? You see, telestai in the Greek language originally meant a business transaction. You would write up a contract, you'd owe this much money, you had so many weeks to pay, just as our day, so much interest, and then you would sign the contract. When the contract was paid, they would write across it or stamp it, telestai, it's done, it's finished. It's paid for. It has to not, it'll never have to be paid for again. Ever. That's why we believe that we can't add to our salvation. We can't take away from it. Jesus paid the penalty once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might present us uh, alive to God in the spirit. Do we understand that? He had a voluntary, substitutionary, redemptive death it was effective for my salvation and your salvation. We need to praise him for that, Christians. We need to celebrate that this Easter week in a special way. Read the gospel stories of his death on the cross. Start reading at the end of the week as we approach Easter about the different resurrection appearances. You'll notice differences in them. That's not because scripture's wrong. It's because the Holy Spirit allowed each one to remember what he saw or to have the, the accounts told to them and they brought out different aspects so we get a fuller picture of Christ's resurrection that it was real. To let's die, brothers and sisters. To let's die. It's done. It's finished. Not by my goodness. Not by yours. But by the righteousness of Jesus Christ as he died in my place and your place and then was buried for three days and rose from the dead. You can pray to receive Christ right now if you need to. All you have to do is confess your sins. Just say, I know I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness of all my sins. Jesus, be the boss of my life. I accept what you did on the cross. You are my Lord and Savior, and you'll be saved. Some need to come for rededication or renewal. Some need to turn down burdens. Some need to come out of the darkness into the light of Jesus. I pray you'll do that today. I think we're going to have a few songs after this sermon. Sing with Brother Ronnie as he sings. Thank them for what they've done to make this service even better. I believe that next week we're going to have at least one deacon give just a little word of encouragement for Easter week, encouragement for the church during these difficult times. 
I thanked him for that. I thank Brother Galen for making all this possible. Y'all need to pray for him. He is extremely busy keeping all this going. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the time we have together. Thank you for all your blessings. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross and in others' place on the cross. Thank you that I don't have to worry about sin's penalty because of the debt you paid for me. Thank you that you've made me free in you and out of love, I want to serve you better. Forgive me where I fail you. Lord, help me to be a better servant. And Father, help our church to get back together soon. Father, many folks are suffering. Many folks are sick. Many folks are losing their jobs. Many folks need your help during this epidemic, this pandemic. And I just ask that, Lord, around the world, you would help them. And Father, be with our missionaries as they're still spreading your word. Be with us as Christians as we're out just doing what we're supposed to do and then coming back home that we might be able to share Jesus with somebody who's worried. And Father, be with our military personnel as they serve and they're in the front lines protecting us. Be with our doctors and nurses and EMTs and first responders, our policemen, our firemen, all those who keep us safe, keep them safe from this disease, this virus. Let your power be displayed across our land so that you will receive glory. Draw men and women to yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'll see you next time, church. Goodbye.